you had the chance, would you change the world? Welcome. I am your host, Ebony Gustav, and this is Cooperative Journal, where I interview mutual aid initiatives and cooperatives from around the world who are creating alternatives to our current economic system. Green Mountain Spinnery is a 40-year-old cooperative based in rural Vermont. They mill high-quality yarns made in the U.S., support regional sheep farming, and develop ways of producing natural fibers that are environmentally friendly. Flatiron Cafe is a cooperatively owned coffee shop also based in Vermont. They are still in the developmental stages, but intend to create a model that integrates coffee, community-driven events, and supports local food entrepreneurs within the space. In this episode, I speak with worker owner Larissa Demos about the inspiration behind the spinnery and Flatiron Cafe's development. Initially, this interview was just going to be about the spinnery, but I decided to ask Larissa to share a bit about a new co-op she is helping to develop. I thought it would be helpful to learn from the experience and perspective of a co-op that's been around for 40 years versus one that is just beginning. So we speak about what's needed for a co-op's longevity, how to sustain ethos as ownership changes, peer-to-peer networking for co-ops, intention and plans once the Flatiron Cafe is open, and more insight into the evolution of these two different models. Hello, Larissa. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy that Carl reached out to me and told me about the spinnery because otherwise I would not have known about the awesome work that you guys are doing, especially um, in terms of sourcing regional local fibers. So can you please share what the spinnery is and some of the history behind its development? Sure. Um, The spinnery first opened in 1981. So this will be our 40th year um, in December, which we're really excited that we've been in business for that long. Um, It started with the desire to bring back wool processing, we're woolen spinning mills, we make yarn. And then 40 years ago, there was no really no place in the U.S. that was doing that kind of work. Most of the wool was being shipped overseas and then shipped back. And the original founders wanted to bring that back to the United States and to help source a lot of, there's a lot of local farming at that point in Vermont. There's not as much as there is um, now. Or there used to be a lot more than there is now. And they wanted to like just support the farmers and process that fiber for them. Hmm. I'd be curious to know, maybe you don't know the answer to this, how many of the farmers uh, that they started with are still their suppliers now? I think there's a few that have been around almost the entire time. There's one down the road, uh, Major Farm. Um, Vermont Shepherd is actually, we call it Major Farm, but it's Vermont Shepherd. Um, We've been working with them. I don't know if it's since the beginning, but for a really, really long time. I don't do a lot of the sourcing of the fiber in the mill, so I don't have that as much of a connection as some of the other members do. Hmm. But we've had, we have some long-standing customers that we've bought wool from. Wow, that's awesome. That's great that they still find value in uh, doing wool farming um, because, like you said, there's a lot of, farmers that don't exist anymore and that was a region of the country where it was pretty prominent and what kind of 
fibers does the spinnery sell? We well, we don't. We only sell sell finished products. Um, so our main source of wool is um, a targi, which is a merino cross. Um, and that's what our main source is, but we also deal with alpaca. So most of the alpaca comes from, I think, New Hampshire at this point, mostly from the Northeast. Um, our mohair comes from the Northeast as well, I think Pennsylvania. Um, but we have different sources of small farms that we get from as well. Um, we get organic cotton and tencel, which is a plant fiber. Nice. What is tencel? made from tree bark okay yeah and you guys also have a mill so yeah. can you speak a bit about that because that also has some wonderful relics yeah it's been around yeah the, the equipment is very old it's older than our mill um we sourced a lot of that from mills that were closing in maine and yeah so we get the raw lease in we do have a plant in, well, it's not our plant, but there's a facility in Texas that washes our wool, but we do a lot of in-house washing for the smaller lots of fiber, but we basically get in fiber that's come right off the sheep or the animal, and we process it through many different steps to turn into a skein of yarn. We have our line that we sell in the building and online, and hopefully again at sheep and wool festivals, and then we also make yarn and fiber for other customers and other yarn labels. I will add that video of the tour of the mill um, that shows the step-by-step -step process to the show notes because I think that's wonderful. And when you guys are open up for tours again, people can also tour the mill. Yes. We're hoping that that will be at some point this year we can do that because it's so much fun to share how much work and actually see the people making your yarn. And yeah. even people who are not knitters are just really amazed at the process. They just, something that they see at the store. Oh no, that's great. You know, my grandma used to knit or my aunt used to knit. So it was one of those. And uh, so it's nice to actually see an, a product actually being made and have faces behind that. Exactly. And I think it also builds a sense of trust with the client and um, the producer as well for them to see that process. And that seeing that process is such a rare thing to have things made in the U.S., but then to also see the entire process and to know the source of the yarn as well is very rare. Yeah. And your mill is very small. It's not like a huge factory either. No, it's very small. We're very, it's very close. Everything's very close together. Um, it's well designed. So everything kind of has like a nice flow to it, but yeah, it is a very small mill. Um, last year was a slower year. Um, because of COVID, obviously, but generally we can process between like 10,000 and 13,000 pounds of fiber a year. Wow. That's incredible. And what's your role at the spinnery? So I am one of the member owners. Not all of our staff are worker owners there, but I am one of them. Um, so I do some admin work and, you know, support of obviously making decisions of the business. Um, take care of a lot of the social media and I do the spinning. So I run our old um, spinning frame from 1948. Very cool. And I do other finishing products, other steps after that, but my, the main part of my job is actually spinning the yarn. 
So you're, you have a very key role. I mean, everyone has a key role, but yeah. being the spinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's a, lot, yeah, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of work involved with scouring it and getting it through the carding machine and plying it if it has to be plied and skeining it. Yeah, it's very hands-on, um, very involved. But yeah, mm. yeah, spinning the yarn is a very one of the important steps. And so, so you careful s- not to say any role is more important than yes. the other. Yes. So keeping with our co-op model. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And that's also just very different from a factory where there's so many people and their role seems very minuscule because they're working in this very like, uh, they're just, it's kind of like a numbers game and it seems very uh, mechanical. And so it's a, definitely a different dynamic to be in a small mill and also to be working within a non-hierarchical model as well. Yeah, it makes everything, I think, just a little bit more special. And, you know, everyone really wants to work together. And I think there's more care in that finished product in the end, because we do rely on each step being so important to the next one or the previous one. Exactly. And you started to talk a little bit about the membership model. So you guys have uh, worker members and then you have non-members as well. Can you speak a bit about how that works? So, so yeah, some worker-owned co-ops, they put everybody on track to being owners. um, And we don't do that. We, it's, you know, voluntary. If you want to become an owner, we work with you to be an owner, to sign on to be a worker owner. So we have some people who are great employees. We still listen to them, but they don't want to be part of the day-to-day decision-making. But they do like the whole concept of being in a cooperative or a much more flexible work environment, which is great. So they are part of the decision-making process if they choose to be, but it's not obligatory. Is that the main difference? We'll we'll still listen to them, but they're not going to be in the meetings making the final decisions. Okay. And we, we would love that everybody be an owner um, if they want to be. It's just some don't want to do that. They want to come in and do their job and go home. But they're still, we'll still listen to their ideas um, and bring them up for discussion. And so what would be the process if you do want to become a worker owner? Uh, after you've worked for two years, um, then you can be... You know, we decide if we both want to be work together to be the owners and we just start, you know, you start joining with the meetings and we'll just start explaining, you know, how we do our financials, um, you know, any business decisions. We just slowly you're a full member at that point, but we're allowing we're kind of like training as you go. And then we eventually find out what roles people are best at and try and work them into doing those projects. Mm, okay. Or if somebody retires and leaves, okay, what roles were they doing? Who's best going to fit those open positions? Mm, so you can't just join the spinnery as a worker owner immediately. You kind of have to right. go through a trial period-ish. Yeah. Most okay. co-ops will do that at different levels. Um, some are much sooner, some are much longer. Um, it was just a decision made years ago that two years was the deciding number okay and how do you guys make decisions what's your decision making process um generally consensus but occasionally we will you know vote on something if it's uh, but most of the time we 
just discuss each person's thoughts on why they think we should make a certain decision and I don't want to use the word compromise because that's not really the best word but it's kind of like okay well we'll meet in the middle on this one and we all have our say which is really nice and most of the time we're on the same page with things it's very rare that something would come up that we're on complete opposite oh that's good yeah and I'm sure it helps to have a smaller team too because I know with full consensus those could be lengthy meetings yeah <laughs> they can be but usually those are like the real big decisions, um, like the bigger financial decisions that seem to take a lot longer. Right. And, and I'm sure the ease of making decisions, uh, it's contributed to that trial period because you get to know each other, you know, your the values are tend to be the same at that point. You know, you're working towards the same mission. Um, so I'm sure that might help with decision making. Oh, that, yeah, that absolutely does. Because it, it seems to be, yeah, that really it just does seem to be that. Like, okay, we all, and you get to know each other a little bit more personally on how, maybe why they would feel this way. So it's it, it really makes it a nice, you really get to know who you're working with before you sign. Mm -hmm. Sign up to be the full member. Exactly. And I know that you all have gone through a big transition recently with new and younger members. So do you have any advice for maintaining the original ethos of the co-op as ownership may start to shift? I think just education is the most important in sharing the information. Um, you know, David, one of the original founders, he's been there before day one. He was, you know, there getting the, getting the whole spinnery set up. You know, so for just him working with newer members, explaining why we do things um, really does help. And then you really get that more of understanding of what the whole philosophy is of the co-op and why it was formed. And and still, it's nice as things change, as the business changes, but it's nice to really keep those core values of why it was started. And I think we all have that passion in us that are the, the members that we want to keep that integrity of working with the farmers and keeping it on the small side um, and just, yeah, getting to know the farms and the farmers that we work with as much as we can and not just treat it as another customer that comes through. So, yeah, that's, I think that's probably the biggest thing is just really understanding the value and why the spinnery became what it became. And I think just believing in that passion just really helps. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure people, that want to work at the spinnery are drawn to that ethos as well. And yeah, it's important to keep that those core values, but it's also awesome that you guys are accepting new and younger members because this can create like a fresh evolution that's still based on the same foundation um, and mm -hmm. potential new relationships. Yeah. And then just, you know, people with different ideas on how things work. I think that's really important. If they're always trying to be new members is that you just get yeah, fresh ideas, um, a new way of looking at things, a new way of doing things that may or may not be better, but just done differently and just to see things at a different, in a different way instead of always seeing it the same way. Exactly. And do you find it, difficult for new members to understand the cooperative model 
do you guys go through a training of just understanding how that works as well? Um, not to a, like a full extent. I think it's just talked about, you know, we've got our principles listed in the office. Um, and I think just the way we run our business kind of shows that we do follow the principles. And do people tend to have an easy transition going from a traditional business model into this one? Do you, what kind of feedback do you get from people? From, from employees? From new ones, yeah. Oh, from new ones? Um, good question. I would say they're more, I think, just thinking from a conversation from one employee, they just really liked the flexibility of the schedule. They had worked in environments where you have to punch in at a certain time and your lunch breaks at a certain time. Um, we don't do that. It's always a very flexible schedule. We're more about our people in the business first, whether they're a member or not. Um, we just value their work and their commitment to keeping the business going. So if you need a day off, you take a day off. You know, it's, you know, if you need to leave early for something, if you need to change a lunch break, um, it's like whenever you want to do that, as long as the work is getting done. Um, and I think having that type of atmosphere creates people to want to do a really great job. Mm-hmm. So I do have a background in retail and in different levels of management. And it's a completely different So You actually get a say um, in what's happening during the day. And if you don't like how something is working, you can actually make suggestions and see how we can make it change to be better. Right. It's not yeah. just micromanaging, but yeah. you're managing yourself yeah. in, in a collective way. Hmm. And we do do some education. We have done that through the Valley Alliance, um, you know, when we have new members um, to do some education as well. Oh, so you'll get members from other co-ops to come in and do information usually the, sessions? Usually Adam, the executive director, would come in and do that. And then in the past, we would hold actual educational events where we could go to them to get more education. Oh, nice. I love that. Okay. And so what do you think makes cooperatives more resilient? I think the desire for everyone to work together and to have a sustainable job that pays well. And it's just, you really want to go into because you're going to be appreciated for what you're doing. You're not just that somebody who's just doing the job to make somebody else rich at the end of the day and it's just yeah you're just really involved with what you're doing it's not just the same old thing every single day and there's chance for growth chance for learning definitely yeah don't, don't see that in your traditional you know working for a corporation or a traditional business model right Normally... unless it's a small business you might see that a little bit more in a small family owned mm -hmm business but yeah and anything bigger than that you don't see it yeah generally the people that are invested in it are those investors those right. <laughs> maybe faceless stakeholders and and the people that are doing the core work are not being valued in the same way so yeah just having a group of people which i'm sure which is a question I'll ask you, but that I'm sure has allowed the spinnery to sustain itself for so long as yeah. well as having 
people that are invested in it and they see a value they receive a return on their investment too not just financially but um in building relationships and contributing to a more ethical economy and local economy absolutely and how would you say being a part of the co-op has been beneficial during the pandemic? Yeah, good question with that. I think what's been really beneficial with this is everybody just wanted to come back to their job. Um, and we all want work together in the very early stages, this now over a year ago, you know, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to stay open? Um, we did have to close, I think for almost 10 weeks, 10, 12 weeks, we were shut down. Um, but we kept in touch with each other. How can we, you know, how can we work together? What are we going to do when we get back? You know, how, how, how is the day-to-day flow of production going to go? I mean, it was all new territory. We didn't know what we were doing, but we all worked together um, along with our staff to decide what was going to be safe for everybody, how everybody was going to be comfortable in the day. And yeah, we all had to lose hours at one point or another, and, but we did it across the board. It wasn't just management that would have their hours cut or just employees that got their hours cut. It was a complete across the board. And we're back now, which is great and staying busy. So it's, and that could just be an advantage of how the world changed and is changing with people wanting to be more of making of their items and knowing where their products are coming from. I think that helped as well, but I think just everyone wanting to go back and do the best that they could to get the jobs back. To where they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, that flexibility, uh, yeah. not just flexibility while you're working, but also having employees that are open to being flexible and adaptable. I think co-ops are incredibly adaptable. And, you know, we have a member with, you know, kids in school. So it's like, okay, we're going to work around your schedule if your kids are going to be at home. You know, you're not comfortable. Another member may not have been comfortable working around so many people. So they ch- changed their schedules to come in earlier or to stay later. So we made all those things happen um, and just communicated really well on, you know, if you're going to be here at this time, you know, this employee can be here at this time and just making sure that the flow of product is still going to happen, even if we're all in there at different times. And I think we did, it was challenging at first, um, to do this if we did a lot of it through just text messaging and but we figure out a way to make it happen mm, wow those are two very important examples because obviously no one should have to think about compromising their health in order to go into work and the same thing for childcare. Childcare can be really expensive especially um you know now where parents are playing both roles. They're doing childcare and they're teaching. Um, it's important to give them that flexibility to like, you know, even take a break if they need it. So yeah, it's Outs- been great. I just don't think my any of my previous jobs would have been as accommodating. Um, I don't know. I'm just assuming because of the culture of where I used to work. Hmm. Yeah, I could definitely say the same thing. And we spoke a little bit about this, but what would you say are the reasons 
why the spinnery has been able to sustain itself for almost 40 years. I think just the willingness to work together, to be creative when things come up. Um, Like I said, this past year was a really great example of that. And, you know, the spinnery has been through other um, years where there's been, you know, major economic disasters in the world or in the U.S. And, you know, I think everyone just kind of just like did what they needed to do to keep the business going, whether it was, you know, taking time off, um, you know, not working for a few weeks, just doing whatever needed to be done, cutting back on certain expenses, just looking at what needed to be done to keep the business alive. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't yeah. there through any of those other time periods. So I don't, I can't speak fully to those, but just, just seeing what we did together um, in the past year, just seems, you know, we still have that, you know, David's still around, which is great. Um, but all that passion from other previous owners, I think that's kind of like absorbed into everyone who's been there. And it's just like, okay, well, they all had to deal with this. We're going to deal with it this way. We're just going to be like, it worked before. Let's just keep trying. Exactly. It wasn't just like, we no, no one ever said this is going to be really hard. Um, we did say it was going to be really hard, but it wasn't like, let's just give up. It was, I just remember our first meeting about it, you know, what, probably early March last year. And it was just kind of like, we're all kind of shocked and what was going, but then it was like, okay, we're all going to make these sacrifices. So we have something to come back to when we can. Mm, And I'm assuming that would have been the philosophy and how everyone else thought previous to meeting there. Exactly. Yeah. Having that security of internal support definitely makes it easier. And Again, having that history of things, situations that they've had to deal with before and they've already laid a foundation of a model that seems to have been working. So you have something to follow. It's not just like just testing out something new. And you're also starting a new co-op. Which is super exciting. (laughs) Can you share what that is and the mission behind it? I I would love to. Um, It's we're still waiting for our final like state paperwork to be a fully you know a cooperative. Um, But real quick history though, it's like it will be hopefully will be called the Flatiron Cooperative, and it will be sort of a coffee shop. But we want it to be more than a coffee shop. We really want to make it more of a community space to kind of unite. The community and the businesses that are downtown. Um, so the little town, like just down the road from me, um, and the business had been there, I think, six years. Um, the original owner sold it, and because she basically didn't want to take care of it herself anymore, and it, and she, we didn't. She had no idea about cooperatives at the time. I was involved with the spinnery at the time, but I didn't know if that was her mission, and she the business officially closed last fall, I think in October. And we kind of reached out to each other like, Hey, let's get this going back as a worker owned cooperative. And we found another person who was interested in it. And so we're just in the very beginning stages of forming the whole thing. But we're really excited about trying to really just be involved with the community more, which, you know, being one of the co-op principles. Yeah. And so you said it'll be 
a cafe, but you also want to integrate some community programming. How are you thinking of involving the community? Um, we want to, we're also going to be a consumer co-op as well. Um, so it'll be a combination of being a worker-owned cooperative, but we will also have consumer shares like a food co-op um, there as well. Um, so, so that way we actually can find out from the community what they want in the space. Um, which is really important. But we want to do different types of art and music and liter literary events and education um, all around it and just really make it this place where the community can actually like be together and connect together. Um, all different types of people from the community, um, just really getting together and learning from each other and educating each other. Mm, I love that. And, a, you know, a cafe is already where people congregate, hang out, but adding some programming to it would just really make it such a more robust model and a way to skill share with each other too, I think would be really cool. Yeah, so like we can't make any food in our space, um, just the way the zoning laws are, but we're now we're trying to work with other restaurants in the area, um, food trucks and things like that to have them make the food for us. And that way we're actually help promoting each other. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then yeah. it takes all the pressure off us of making food that we don't want to do. Um, but we can, yeah, we can just reach out to all these other producers in the area. Exactly. Have them make things or sell their product. Right. And that gives them an, another platform as yeah. well. Absolutely. Very cool. Are there any food co-op type of restaurants that are near you? There are food co-ops, like, you know, actual... Well, yeah, not the grocery. But not, yeah, I mean. but no, there's not. I mean, there's the Skinnery, um, you know, Northwest is not a lot of cooperatives in this immediate area. Hopefully that will change. Mm. Um, but yeah, there really isn't any other that I know of anything cooperatively owned in this area. Hmm. I don't even know if there was anything in Vermont. But I know they do exist out there. There are... Um, coffee shop cafes that are worker owned. Okay. And so when people get a share in the co-op, what would the benefits be of having we're, a share? Yeah, um, a consumer share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're still working out the details on that. Um, okay. But okay. most likely like, you know, discounts and special perks of some sort, we're still like I said, we're still in the very, very early mm -hmm. stages. We have lots of ideas. We're just trying to get down to where they need to be or and where also, we'd like them to be and what the community needs. And that's so important to not just come into a community and try to create programming for them, but to really make it a collaborative effort. And maybe as a member, they could get, if you guys have like a separate event space, maybe they can get discounts on using the event space yeah, or something. We've talked about those ideas as well. And it would just be nice that we will be able to like pull the consumers, the consumer members and be like, what do you want in this space? Exactly. Exactly. And so since you guys are just developing the co-op, uh, what kind of support have you gotten uh, for the inception of it? I know that you decided to join the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops, so maybe you can speak a bit about that. 
yeah, that was, yeah, that was a very early on decision. Um, and I'm glad we did because it's, it's way more work than I thought it was going to be. So I'm very thankful um, for Vox for that and for Adam um, educating us and helping us with every step along the way. Um, and I have to say the spinnery has been really helpful as well because I've changed my schedule to allow myself time to focus on this new club while still keeping my job and my role at the spinnery. So that's been really nice. Um, and I'm sure there'll be more changes with the schedules as we go forward. But knowing that, you know, co-op supporting co-ops, um, you know, that, I think that that's a great way to keep co-ops growing and producing more of them in an area. It'd be great to see even more. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Um, and it's been great. Like I said, um, Adam's been a huge help. We've reached out to Carl, actually, um, to work out some lease agreement information and one other um, one of the other co-ops that are members of Fox as well to see what they could offer for assistance. Wow. And there's a few other, there's two other new co-ops as well um, with Fox. And it might, and that's just going to provide us with support of, hey, you're going through the same things we're going through, even if they're, you know, they're in a different state, but still we can just be like, how are you managing this or challenging, you know, what challenges are you coming up with? And maybe we can help each other with it. Mm. I mean, I have a lot of the history from being at the Spinnery and being involved with a worker cooperative for what, almost over eight years and in my eighth year, um, and also being a board member with Fox, that's actually gave me a lot of information to get this going. But it's nice to know there's still going to be a lot of questions, and it's nice to know there's a network of people in to help. Yeah. So just to preface, yeah. actually, uh, before this episode releases, uh, <laughs> will be the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops. But for those that don't know, it's a, a regional network of worker co-ops. And I didn't even think about actual like develop startup co-ops supporting startup co-ops is brilliant too. I've always thought about like older co-ops supporting newer ones, but yeah, going through the kinks of the development process together and, you know, best practices, challenges, I think is really valuable. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming that it will be. I, we've been in the very early stages, but it's just brief conversations have really shown that, yeah, this is really going to be able to, you know, it's not like you're starting a business alone. You know, if you're just, if I, we get to start this as a regular business, where are we going to go to get extra help? Exactly. Most businesses aren't willing to share information with other businesses where if you're a co-op, like, yeah, we'll let you know what worked and what didn't work. And maybe those will work for you. Maybe they won't. Exactly. And it's a mutual benefit as yeah. well. And hopefully through that, there'll be you know, a greater chance of long-term sustainability. That would be a wonderful thing to yeah and so the spinnery has been around for almost 40 years and they've been really awesome allies to other worker co-ops um how would you say that that has helped the spinnery having a peer-to-peer network I, i think it's knowing that you can rely on other people to help when something comes up you know how we don't know where to go with this certain challenge that's come up, but like, oh, we can call this co-op or email this co-op or get in touch with somebody or, 
you know, to find out like how, how did you handle this? What direction could we go into to figure this out? And I think that's just like I said, with my background of being very corporate, you don't get that anywhere else. No one's going to mm. give you the information on, you know, any number of subjects that could come up. You just don't get that information. It's like, no, we're mm. not going to tell you how we solve this problem or they're going to charge you, <laughs> you know, if, a consultancy for it and like that just doesn't happen you just go and you support co-op because you believe in them and know that it's a better business model for both the individual employees and the business itself it's just and for the, the, the local economy you just, you're helping such as so many different factors mm-hmm. yeah it's moving from uh striving for solely profit and seeing other businesses as competition to really creating a collaborative network. And outside of the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops, how do you get access to peer-to-peer networking with other co-ops? Is this just relationships you have or do you just like do a Google search? I'm wondering how how can we create more networks for co-ops? Um, well, there are, we just kind of like know what co-ops are in the area, um, but okay. there's also the you know, U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, um, and they list people throughout the entire U.S. Um, and I think Puerto Rico. Um, so, yeah, so if we wanted something really specific, um, I know for with the Flatiron, I've reached out to Pachamama and Just Coffee, which are worker-owned coffee cooperatives, and like they're willing to help share information with us as well. So there's, there are, there is like a national database of finding cooperatives. And I just, I just sent an email and was like, Hey, this is what we're doing. You know, what can you share with us? What advice, you know, what would it be to carry your product in our store? Um, Yeah. So it's just nice that you can get that information. And I just don't know of any other, I don't think I could call Starbucks and be like, Hey, how are you guys doing this? What are your sources? And where are you getting information? I don't, I don't think they'd be willing to hand out that information in the same way. Definitely. And we both come from fashion backgrounds. And I know like when I was in the fashion industry, I was just like this, it's very competitive. And I don't think that anyone wants to help each other because they see you as a threat to them. Whereas when I started learning about like permaculture and cooperatives, it's still a very niche idea that the people that are in it, they're just excited that people are interested in it and they want to see it grow. And so they're happy to share information. Um, I think you mentioned to me before how many worker co-ops there are in the U.S., like a rough estimate. Do you remember what that was? I think it's between like four and 450. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I would love to know how many have popped up from the pandemic, though. That would be, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that information will eventually come out. Yeah. 
Yeah, businesses. It, I know. I think there was a there was a business in New Orleans, I believe, that closed during the pandemic. It was a, some sort of a cafe restaurant, and it did reopen as a worker-owned cooperative. So I know of one. Mm. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but yeah, so I do know of one. Um, but yeah, it really would be interesting to see if there's a way to. And I think there's a little bit more national movement on hearing about worker-owned cooperatives. Um, this, the business did fail. Like, why? How can we make this come back? Yes. The worker-owned model. Yeah. I'd be. I'm definitely going to follow up with you on the converted worker-owned co-op because I would love to interview them. Um, I think that that's also. Uh, really big potential out of the pandemic is transitioning to worker-owned models, especially as, you know, a lot of businesses have failed and are failing uh, instead of just letting it go to a private developer or something. Why not give the employees the tools to... And the employees know the business. They know the customers, you know, so it's not like you're just selling it to somebody who knows nothing about what you're doing. You're selling it to people who actually know how to run and operate the business and know what the needs are. Exactly. Exactly. Again, being invested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, having those invested employees, I think just helps really well. And what are some challenges you've experienced throughout the process of starting a co-op? Honestly, right now it seems to be like the paperwork is so much of a challenge. Um, Right, we're so early on just like sourcing. um, You know, there's three three of us that are involved, myself, um, Jana, and Bri. And so we're working really well together, um, which is good. But I think a little bit of the challenge is finding more people who would like to be worker owners and really know the vision. Um, and we are talking to other people to see if we can encourage others. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of work, um, it, but it's, it's good work. I enjoy it. It's, I feel good at the end of the day. It doesn't feel like, oh, I just had to like write all these numbers down to figure out a capital plan. It's like, I'm excited about being involved. Like, oh, we have to figure out what we need for coffee cups, but it's actually, not dreaded work it's actually like this is because we know the outcome is going to be something so great for the community and that's why we keep pushing forward with it Mm. right and i mean right now we're all getting along great and we're able to make decisions really well together um but i'm sure there's going to be i think it's just like finding the right people that we know we can work with and and i think that's why even you just want to be able to have everyone who can work together. And I know we'll find more people who are interested once we really talk about, I don't think we're in the area that we are. There's just, they know the spinnery is a cooperative, but they don't, nobody really knows about worker owned cooperatives. So we're, I guess maybe that is the biggest challenge is really educating the public about what a worker owned cooperative is and how beneficial it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, can imagine that's hard especially in the beginning stages because you have to get people that see the foreseeable vision and it might take a little while for them to get their return on investment whether it's financially or with time and 
Uh, how long have you guys been developing the co-op? How many? Um, well, the, ori the original starting conversation was back last fall, but it was really in January that we um, really started maybe late December. And then we're like, let's wait till after the holiday seasons. And we really started, you know, getting ourselves together probably January and have just been meeting just about every single week since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just keeping the momentum and yeah. yeah. And then once things start flowing and then people really can like see a tangible vision, yeah. then I'm sure also you'll get more people that are on board. But yeah, education is, is important. And, and maybe even right now, each one of yeah, each one of us now have like we bring something different to the table, um, and I think that's what's really helping us get started. Um, you know, one Jan is really great with because she knew the business beforehand. I have all the co-op knowledge and passion, and Fry just has this real desire to like do something community-based and like have all these great ideas for what we can do when the space is open to help with the community. So it's just, it's a great combination so far. And we mm. do want to add to it um, when we find the right people. Yeah. And that diversity yeah. of interest and skills will also add to the resilience of it. And we all want to do a little bit of every job. We're not going to, like someone's not just going to be making coffee all day. One person's not going to be just doing the books. We've made it to, we're all going to help each other in each area of the business it's so important well since you've been a member of the spinnery which is nearly 40 years and you're now a member of one in development yeah what advice would you give to someone who's interested in starting a co-op i would say go for it i mean just check to see if it's something that you, i think the big thing is finding if you're it's something that your community needs um, you know, I have seen people open for business with what they want for a business, but it may not be what the community needs and it fails. Um, so we're really finding out what the community needs, finding a group of people who feel the same about the project as you um, to get it going. And definitely, definitely get your, if you're networking, find an association that you can join to get the assistance um, in whatever area that you're in. I mean, more regional, the better. Um, because you work, you'd end up working with people who know more of your area, um, but there are national associations as well. Mm. But I honestly what? don't think we would go as far as we did without the help of the Valley Alliance and having co-ops that we know to help us. So I think it'd be a very like, how do you do this? And even if you're brand new to the entire co-op world, um, reaching out to an association to help you, or at least another co-op to get you going in the right direction is extremely helpful. All very good advice. And I think uh, having a regional peer-to-peer -peer network is important because um, especially as you're doing like legality type mm -hmm. of work, yeah. you know, they know what's what's necessary, what the requirements are for uh, that region, so. Yeah. yeah, there's certain things that have come up, I'm like, oh, I totally had no idea we needed to do that, or, mm. you know, this question comes up, where do you go? I wouldn't know who to ask, so being involved. I think for, for us, it was helpful that we 
knew the Valley Alliance and, you know, I have a working relationship with people there. Um, I think it's just nice, but just trying to seek that out is finding an association or at least finding the nearest worker owned cooperative that you know of to help you get into the right direction. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And my last question is, how do you envision a changed world? Through co-op? Sure, we can limit it to co-ops or broaden. Yeah, I just, I mean, I I think just because I've been doing so much reading lately, I just feel like, wow, if more businesses have, could change to a worker-owned model where the workers actually have a say in their day-to-day business um i think it just like rolls over into people having better lives at home and just creating a better world hopefully i mean i know that's very utopian to think that way um but i just feel from working in cooperatives i mean they you know there are challenges just like any other business um but i just feel like if co-ops are really running true to their values they're really caring about their the people they're caring about the planet um over profit and i just think that that would just make things so much better i think there'd just be a lot more unity in the world um and more people caring about their fellow neighbors and other people around them instead of just like making a bunch of money yeah it's interesting because when i first started cooperative journal I thought that it would just be about co-ops but then I realized that it's mutual aid as well and even when you have when you have a mutual aid or a cooperative model it ends up having ripple effects too in your not only immediate environment but even farther out um because people have a shift in perspective like what you were saying you're not just thinking about profit but you're thinking about how can we support each other how can we support each other internally but also support the local economy other living beings around us as well like it ends up being this really uh holistic model even like a lifestyle it completely changes your perspective about life it has the potential to for sure and it may sound utopian but it's happening and that is like my goal of sharing these stories we don't have to just dream about it it's tangible it is absolutely is and hopefully more people will start seeing this as a really great way to start a business and help your community Yes, I hope so, too. Well, thank you so much, Larissa. This has been a very nourishing conversation. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm on a mission to get these little known solutions out to as many people as possible. So please help me by sharing, leaving a like and a review. If you would like to stay in the loop about future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter at cooperativejournal.com. Because I didn't say save the world, I said change the world, improve it, make it better than we find it.